Greetings, this is J.R. Dickey. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And by the way, don't forget our website, graceandtruth.net. I hope you're having a great day, but if not, hang with me. It's about to get better. Okay, this is the Sunday before Easter, and I think this is a really appropriate time to record Revelations chapter 5, because if Christ had not risen from the dead, we would not have Revelations 5, and you'll see why in just a moment. Title of this episode is Tragedy and Triumph. The Bible says that in heaven, God will wipe away every tear. And John the Apostle, while viewing the throne room of heaven in this chapter, is about to weep profusely. And that's because a cataclysmic tragedy is presented to him. The Bible goes, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. As John is watching, a scroll is in God's possession. Now, what could possibly be in this scroll that's so confidential and so important? No one, no one in the created order, seen or unseen, can open it or even look upon it. As he describes it, there are seven seals upon it and writing both inside and on the outside of it. Some have suggested that this is the title deed to planet Earth, and initially that sounds good, but there's a problem with that. You see, the Earth is already the Lord's forever. Psalms 24.1 says, The Earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. For this reason, I think there's a better explanation. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, verses 25 through 31, we find a very interesting law laid down by God pertaining to redemption. In short, if someone loses possession of his land, he can redeem it from the new owner at the appropriate price. If he that lost the property is too poor to redeem it, he must wait till the year of Jubilee, at which time it will once again become his possession. However, there's a different rule for houses in walled cities. If someone loses possession of this type of property, that is, one that is man-made, and cannot redeem it within the allotted time, which was one year, because of poverty or indebtedness, that property forever becomes a property of the new owner. It can never be redeemed again. All that is to say that the land, the earth, is redeemable, but that which pertains to man can only be redeemed by the appropriate price, within the specified time. Now back to the Garden of Eden. 
There, mankind sold, if you would, his property to Satan. In willful rebellion against God, he effectively sold his soul and became the servant of sin. From that point, Satan had certain property rights, and only a very specific price and time of redemption could apply to that property. The price of redemption was one sinless man, an Adam for an Adam, so to speak. The time limit or deadline on the redemption was seemingly set by God in Daniel chapter 9. For more on this, see our lesson entitled, This Your Day, in which we showed the period concluded on by the, fr- the Friday following the exact day prophesied that he would enter Jerusalem hailed as the king, the son of David. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, one of the temptations included this man-made property. In Luke's account, it says, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So, if you worship me, it will all be yours. That's Luke 4, 5-7. Well, interestingly, Jesus did not contest this point. He simply refused to worship him. The next concept we should consider pertaining to the heavenly scroll is that of inheritance. God has an inheritance to pass along. In Deuteronomy 4, Moses says to the people of Israel, But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of his inheritance, as you are now. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, Moses, speaking to God, says, But they are your people, your inheritance, that you brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. That is, God's people are his inheritance. Both property documents, as in Jeremiah 25, and inheritances are typically sealed. And if they became encumbered by some debt or obligation... The price to satisfy that debt was often written on the outside. Therefore, I submit that this scroll in the hand of God represents the encumbered inheritance of God's people, the Hebrews, and all the kingdoms of man, whom God would redeem from Satan for the price of one sinless man. Of course, John The apostle wept bitterly, for when he learned that no one was found worthy to take and open the scroll, it meant that this inheritance would forever become the property of Satan, eternally unredeemable. The Bible continues, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. The mighty Lion of Judah was found worthy, the resurrected, glorified Son of God, Jesus Christ. 
He paid the debt. We all owed or owe. It's wholly a past tense situation for the honest believer. Everyone else, the debt, though paid by Christ, is as yet fully burdensome because of disbelief. Well, the Bible continues. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. When John heard of a mighty lion, he surely did not expect to see a mutilated lamb. It would seem that his position, that is, the lambs, as being in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, places him squarely in the same location as Father God. And of course, this makes sense, for he is God the Son, but he also has seven horns and seven eyes, which signify omnipotence and omniscience. That there are seven spirits of God, or the manifestation, if you would, to every tribe, tongue, and nation of the Holy Spirit, to each of the seven churches. So there on the throne, in effect, you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit in perfect unity. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. You know, he didn't have to take that scroll. He was found worthy to do so, but he didn't have to do it. After all, what it represents is a corrupted, rebellious group. Remember, as we covered in our last lesson, the church at this point is already in heaven. Because of that, this scroll represents the encumbered inheritance of those who have as yet rejected salvation by grace, who stubbornly hold on to their spiritual indebtedness. But he took the scroll because he is committed to his people. And though it will take a hellish tribulation to bring them all to him as lost sheep to their shepherd, he will do it. The Bible continues. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So, let's count. We have twenty-eight instances here of prayer and worship surrounding the Lamb. Interesting enough, the curtains of the tabernacle in the Old Testament, which surrounded the myriad types or pictures and symbols of Jesus, including the altar of incense, the altar of sacrifice, and the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, these curtains were each 28 cubits long. Perhaps another foreshadow of the heavenly realm. Uh, by the way, the saints here are not of Roman Catholic origin, but rather those who are saved by faith and set apart for God. In the Old Testament prophecy, they represent Hebrew believers like Daniel or Father Abraham. In the New Testament, the word can also refer to Gentile believers. The Bible continues, And they sang a new song. I like that, a new song. Saying, 
You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. It's interesting that this tribute is called a new song. Seven times the scriptures tell us to sing or be filled with a new song. Here in heaven, this continues. The redeemed church sings this new song. Hmm. And later in chapter 14, the 144,000 redeemed of Israel sing their own new song. Now, the lyrics are as ageless as God's plan of redemption for Jesus is the Lamb who was slain from before the foundations of the earth. Nevertheless, it's a new song. This word for new means fresh, and it is indeed fresh praise that comes forth from the hearts of the redeemed. In heaven, the sense of his worthiness is ever fresh and alive. The message doesn't change. It's the sense of its truth and profundity that are ever new. The Bible continues. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a, what I'll call, worship nerd in heaven. I don't want to be attributing these awesome things to Jesus only because everyone else is. It's not at all that I have any doubt as to his worthiness. I just want to be as sincere as possible. For that reason... I've spent considerable time meditating on this passage and affirming it in my own heart. Why? He is worthy of each thing. I've even written some letters about it. Uh, you could refer to Power to the Lord, Wisdom's Cry, Rising Up, Muchness, Priceless Love, Pitch Black, and His Desire, Our Delight, at my website, Grace the letter N, truth.net, graceandtruth.net, and thefathersgrace.com. Now, notice how many creatures are around the throne. Angels, elders, and the living ones, more than a hundred million. The implication is that it's an innumerable host. When the Bible continues, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them. I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. At this point, every other creature, every other created being chimes in, and together they all praise both Father God and the Lamb. And so what we can look forward to is that the curse upon creation will be removed in Christ. As Paul wrote of Father God, it says, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, 
he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. That's Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. Man redeemed, creation restored, reconciliation universal, all in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. That's Colossians 1, 19 and 20. And then the Bible finishes with this. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. These four apparently have an awesome authority for in confirming the desire of all creation toward the one on the throne and toward the Lamb, they say, so be it. And with this, the first act, so to speak, in the throne room of heaven concludes. As for this praise, the audience is not the host of creation, but the one. So be it is in effect his acceptance. In worshipful appreciation, those who represent all redeemed believers bow before him. What a glorious, glorious triumph. Now may the Lord grant you peace in the midst of any storm and faith to trust him. Look for our next podcast and may you realize more of his grace today.